Podcast One Production. How long is a billion seconds? How much can happen in a billion seconds? Well, that all depends on which billion seconds you're looking at. The first, the last, or the next. G'day, I'm Mark Pesci. The coming next billion seconds are the most important in human history as technology transforms the way we live and work. On this podcast, we talk to some of the brightest minds shaping our world, charting our path as we voyage into an incredible future. And on this episode, we'll dive into the frontiers of time and space with Dr. Katie Mack, an astrophysicist who's looking at the biggest questions of all. Where did we come from and where are we going? It's the story of everything from beginning to end on this episode of The Next Billion Seconds. On The Next Billion Seconds, we spend a lot of time talking about a unit of time that feels unfamiliar. And it's not, not really. A billion seconds is 31 years, four months, and a few days. A lot can happen in that time to a person or even to the universe. And although the next billion seconds are going to be chockers, that's nothing next to what happened during the first billion. And to help us explore everything that did or could happen in a billion seconds, we're lucky enough to have Dr. Katie Mack joining us on the show. Katie is a theoretical astrophysicist at the University of Melbourne, specializing in the beginning of, well, pretty much everything. (laughs) Dr. Mack, Welcome to the next billion seconds. Thanks. It's good to be here. First, let's just start off with what does a theoretical astrophysicist do? What do you do all day? (laughs) So my basic job description is that I think about the mysteries of the universe. Um, What I do all day is a little bit more mundane. It's a lot of coding. It's a lot of writing down equations, a lot of talking to people. I'm a theorist, so I don't do anything with observations or data I do a lot of thinking about what future observations can tell us about how the universe works, but mostly I think about things like dark matter and the beginning of the universe and black holes and galaxies and the end of the universe and how everything fits together. Okay, we're going to get to some of that. That's a lot of ground to cover, but let's let's not talk about it. So the beginning of everything, the beginning of the universe, that first billion seconds when everything appears. Just can you take us through that a little bit? What actually happened? So here's how it started. Something happened in the very, very beginning. We don't know what it was, but 10 to the minus 34 seconds after that, which is just an unimaginably tiny number, the universe expanded itself apart in this bizarre way. We don't know why that happened. We don't know why it started. We don't know how it ended, but that probably happened. That's called inflation. Then after that, the first particles began to form. And then we had this sort of soup of plasma quarks and gluons and and weird stuff. So quarks are the things that protons are made of. So, you know, protons are the 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 things that we're made of. Things that we're made of, yeah, the centers of atoms. And protons themselves are made of quarks, which are even smaller particles that are confined in the centers of atoms. And gluons are like the particles that hold everything together. Okay, so again, you get this idea that everything's sort of melting and melting and melting and melting. And then after that, the kinds of particles we understand began to form. Protons and neutrons and neutrinos. And then protons and neutrons came together to form the first nuclei. So the first centers of atoms, um, hydrogen, helium, 
um, and a couple of other elements, but just the really small ones. And then there was a lot of just the universe cooling down and cooling down and cooling down. And that's pretty much everything that happened in the first billion <laughs> seconds after that. Then, you know, structure started to form, you know, stars and all of that. But the first billion seconds was just basically the creation of atoms. The basics. It's getting the, the very, basics. very basics. But we have ways of observing the afterglow of the Big Bang. And that's that's well after a billion seconds. That's few hundred thousand years after the very beginning of the universe. But we can look for clues about the beginning from that, and we can look at the way that the universe is currently expanding and kind of dial that backward and figure out what the universe was doing early on when it was very small and very hot and very dense. So it's almost as if we had a photograph of a plate that was exploding and then could wind the film back and watch the plate being assembled back together again. Yeah, we can do a bit of that. And the other thing that we can do is we can do experiments in the lab, um, things like the Large Hadron Collider, where we're smashing particles together. Right, and the Large Hadron Collider is this huge machine that's in Switzerland, yeah. basically mostly underground, that can yeah. take tiny little particles, accelerate them to nearly the speed of yeah. light, and then basically cause car crashes yep. of yep. two particles hitting at nearly the speed of light. Yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of reasons we use the, those colliders, a lot of reasons we smash particles together. But one of the big ones is we want to know what happens when energies get really, really high because we want to understand the early universe. And so if you if you smash pro protons together fast enough, then you recreate the kind of energy conditions, the kind of ambient temperature that you had in the very, very early universe. And this, is, this, is, this isn't thousands of degrees. This is now billions or is it tens of billions uh, yeah, of degrees? I, I mean, I don't even... I wouldn't. I don't even know how to talk about it in degrees. We talk about it in terms of like the energy of a proton, and uh, you know, taking all that energy and putting it into one place. And right. so it's it's just unimaginable so energies. Even the kind of energy you'd have at the middle of the sun is kind of just like doesn't even yeah. count, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's hotter than that. But the thing that I want to emphasize though is that we do know really quite an awful lot. So we can get back to something like. 20 picoseconds after whatever the beginning was. Okay, and there are a thousand picoseconds in a nanosecond, right? Which yeah. is a billionth of a second. Yeah, so it's, it's, these are very short times very, after, very short after times. the beginning. A billionth of a second is how long it takes your smartphone to decide something, right? It makes one decision basically in a billionth of a second. After the break, we'll be talking to Dr. Katie Mack about what happens for us when we start to unlock some of the great big mysteries of the universe over the next billion seconds. And we're back on the next billion seconds talking to theoretical astrophysicist Dr. Katie Mack. So, Katie, you're sort of heading into the peak years of your career. You're going to spend at least the next billion seconds, the next 30 years, deeply involved in the field. What do you expect that we're going to learn? What will we know at the end of the next billion seconds that maybe we don't or maybe we only have a sense of today? So right now there are sort of two really big mysteries in cosmology. So cosmology is what I study, the beginning of the universe, the end, the, the evolution, what it's made of. Um, the the big mysteries are dark matter and dark energy. Okay, so what is dark matter? <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> or, do, okay, so well, this that's is the, the question. <laughs> so, okay, dark matter is some kind of invisible stuff that has mass, has gravity, and holds 
galaxies together. Oh my God, it's the force. It More binds or less. us. <laughs> Holds it us together. It flows through us. It really does. <laughs> yeah. It really does. So it's, so it's some kind of invisible stuff, probably some kind of new elementary particle that we haven't observed before that has mass but doesn't interact with, with us in the usual ways. So we can't touch it. We can't see it. But it's some kind of thing that has mass. Um, that's the main thing I study. I want to know what dark matter is. And at the moment, we know a lot about what it isn't. We, we've done a lot of experiments that have seen absolutely nothing. Um, which, we, which which is good. It's a process of oh, elimination, yeah, but yeah. you might have to go through it's, an awful lot of lists. Right, right, right. Yeah. It, no, it's 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 awesome. We, you know, we just had some new results out recently. Not not my group, but but others that really great measurements of nothing. Um, so hopefully. In the next 30 years, we will know what dark matter is. We have lots of really interesting ways to look for it. We can look for it in space. We can look for it in um, in experiments underground. We're actually building an experiment in rural Victoria uh, to detect dark matter. It's called the Sabre Project um, at, this, at a place called Stahl. There's a gold mine putting a detector. Stahl, where they run the race. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a gold mine there, and they're doing a, a dark matter experiment there. I'm, I'm part of that project. So there's a lot of prospects for figuring out what the dark matter is. Hopefully, we'll really, really know what it is and be able to say some stuff about it. But already we can we can say where it is. We can say how it comes together in the universe. So we learn we know a lot about dark matter, but we don't know exactly what it's made of. So that's the that's one big mystery. All right, and that's important because dark matter is eighty five percent of the matter in the universe. So eighty five percent of the stuff that has mass is dark matter. So eighty five percent of the stuff in the universe. We haven't figured out how to measure yet. No, 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 no. That it's worse than that. <laughs> it's worse than that because that's just eighty-five percent of the mass, right. right? But the if you add up the the sort of total energy of the universe, like you know the mass energy, everything in the universe, seventy percent of what's out there is dark energy, and dark energy is something totally different from dark matter. It's only called dark because we also can't see it. And it's a big mystery, but we don't know what it is at all. Well, all what we, is it doing? So what it's doing is making the universe expand faster. So the universe has been expanding since the beginning, and we since know this. Yep. Yep. And now we know that, in fact, it's not just expanding. Like, you'd expect something when it expands, it would kind of maybe slow down. Yeah, it should, it, it should slow down because it's got a lot of gravity in it, and the gravity should kind of pull it back together, you know. And, and so it should slow down, you know. In the in the 80s and 90s, we thought that it would probably, you know, either slow down forever or maybe come back together and crunch back, you know, who knows. But um, it definitely should be slowing down in the same way that if you throw a ball up into the air, even if you throw it really, really high, it should slow down. Right. Um, even if you manage to throw it fast enough that it escapes the, the earth, it'll still be kind of slowing down the whole time. Um, so dark energy is like you take that ball, you throw it up into the air, it slows down for a little bit, and then it shoots off into space for no reason. That would yes, that would confuse people. If, <laughs> yeah. if things like that happened all the time, yeah. people would be very confused. And that's exactly what happened in astronomy. We did measurements of how the universe was expanding, and it, it and we were trying to measure the deceleration parameter. We were trying to measure a quantity that would tell us how quickly the universe is slowing down. They called it the deceleration parameter. We were so certain, and it turns out it's negative. It's the universe is speeding up. And so, the, and this is you know, as a scientist, you're not supposed to go in with any preconceptions. <laughs> yeah. No, right? Yeah, that's yeah. one of the rules. You, yeah. supposed to have no preconceptions and sometimes they leak in and then you're all of a sudden oh my goodness the data is not agreeing with us yeah yeah and this so this is why you know brian schmidt and his colleagues got 
got the Nobel Prize in so 2001. So Brian Schmidt, the, now the VC of the uh, Australian National University yeah. and one of our uh, Nobel Prize winners. And yes, he got this because he figured out that everyone was wrong, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, the universe is accelerating. So we don't know why the universe is accelerating. Whatever's making that happen, we call it dark energy. So 70% of everything yeah. 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 is something that's pushing us apart. Yeah, yeah. And so when you add up, you know, the dark energy and the dark matter, right. 95% of the universe is a mystery. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I guess that does mean that the next billion seconds in astrophysics are going to be super interesting because yeah. even if we only crack a little bit of this, yeah, yeah. right, we get uh, insight into what most of the universe exactly, is. Exactly, exactly. And so I, th I really think in the next 30 years, we're going to have a much better handle on what dark energy is. Um, I, I'm almost certain we'll know what dark dark matter is. So, you know, we'll definitely have a better picture of, of the universe in that time. All right. So now let's take this out. We will get some insight clearly into dark matter, hopefully into dark energy. When we have those insights, how does that change what we know or how we work in the world? There, there are a few technological advances that, if they happened, would allow us to live on other planets uh, more easily. Uh, if we were able to deal with radiation shielding better, mm. if we were able to deal with, uh, you know, propulsion a little better, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about about you know how our understanding of gravity can change things. You know, maybe we can learn to make things hover or you know new space propulsion systems. I'm skeptical of that um, because everything we know about gravity suggests that you just need really huge masses to do anything interesting with it. But we just don't know. You know, we we just really don't know what learning how gravity works would do. So that's it's all on the table. I mean, that's that's one of those questions that's that's almost impossible to answer. Our understanding of particle physics is incomplete. Mm -hmm. We have this thing called the standard model of particle physics. It works really well in the laboratory, but we know it's incomplete because it doesn't include dark matter, certainly doesn't include dark energy. So there's got to be more to our understanding of particle physics and just fundamental physics in general than we than we have written down. Um, also, you know, our understanding of gravity is not complete because mm. it doesn't work well with particle physics. So if we were able to understand really what dark matter is, that would help us fix, fix the standard model particle physics. That would help us understand particle physics much, much better. If we understood what dark energy is, we'd probably have a better handle on how gravity works. And putting those together just really changes our view of physics on a fundamental level. And that, you know, as a, as a cosmologist, as somebody who does this work in theory, I have no idea if that could ever be practical. I mean, the stuff that I it think about... It almost always is, though, because someone will look at that thing. and go, oh, wait, we can use that in this that's way. The, I mean, that's the thing, right? When when quantum mechanics was discovered, mm -hmm. nobody thought that would be useful, and now it's the basis for <laughs> all, all of our technology, All right? of our technology, uh, yes. When, when general relativity, Einstein's theory of gravity came out, nobody thought that would be useful. Now we have GPS, and we yeah. can't get anywhere without it. Yeah. You know, um, these kinds of fundamental discoveries that seem super esoteric and completely, you know, impossible to to apply, sometimes they really change things. And even if they don't themselves, even if we, if we don't learn how to, you know, harness gravity or, or dark matter or whatever, um, just the process of the kinds of technologies we mm. use to discover it can give us new things. But you have to think, and I, I assume this is sort of a ground truth as a physicist, that the more you fill in the model, the better the picture you get 
the better the decisions you can make, the better the questions you yeah. can ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, anytime we learn something about how the universe works, we know which direction to go. We know, you know, what to look for next. And, you know, everything about how we interact with the universe gets better and, and more efficient. And so it's, these are not just sort of esoteric questions. Okay. Last question. Yeah. We're going to take a look at the last billion seconds of the universe. And there's a couple of different ways yeah. this can go, right? And one of them has to do with dark energy because yeah. maybe the amount of dark energy in the universe is increasing. Yeah, yeah. So, so dark energy, as far as we know, dark energy seems to be what's called a cosmological constant. What that means is the density of dark energy just stays constant over time in the universe. And because the universe is getting bigger, that means that there's more dark energy all the time, which is weird. <laughs> it's, it's very weird. weird. But, yeah. you know, the um, density of dark matter is, is uh, dark energy, sorry, is, is staying the same. But there, there are theories of dark energy that don't have that property where the density of dark energy is actually increasing over time. And if that happens, then it's then dark energy will be able to do things like pull the universe apart so hard that it pulls apart galaxies and then solar systems and then planets and, and then, then atoms and then everything and this is called the big rip and so this is uh, this is one of the really fun apocalyptic scenarios <laughs> for the universe that there's you can calculate some finite time in the future where the universe will rip itself to part using dark energy wow Okay. So that's, that's a fun possibility. That's one very happy ending. <laughs> and then there's the sort of more normal one. Yeah, Talk about yeah. that one. Yeah. So so the standard picture that, that fits with everything we understand, that fits with a, a cosmological constant, a sort of constant dark energy, is called the heat death. And this one is rather sad. <laughs> but the idea behind the heat death is that, you know, as as the universe keeps expanding and the expansion is accelerating – Things are getting farther and farther apart. You know, other distant galaxies go so far away that we can't see them anymore. Um, and our our galaxy becomes more isolated. And then eventually, because there's no other, I mean, there's there's nearby galaxies that'll smash into ours. The Andromeda galaxy will hit us in five billion years. That'll be cool. Four billion years, something like that. Anyway, there the our little local group of galaxies will be become one big slushy galaxy and then be isolated and then because there's nothing else nearby there's nothing to form new stars and so the stars will burn out and then you know the black holes will start to fade away and then evaporate and then the universe will just be really really cold and dark and empty so the universe is like a cup of tea that you've left alone for too long and it just oh it's a cold cup of tea which is never enjoyable yeah i mean it just it, and it, it'll just become eventually the universe will be very very close to zero you know temperature and it'll just be sort of static forever but the universe is still quantum mechanical so there are still possibilities that even in a heat death universe, there could be fluctuations and you know, new Big Bang happen. or whatever. And so we're still not really sure. But the standard picture is just fade out to black and empty, lonely, useless universe. But the next billion seconds ain't going to be anything like that. Dr. No. Katie Mack, thank you very much for joining us on the next billion seconds. Thank you. It was fun. Listening to Katie talk, it was really interesting to understand how much we do know and how much we don't know. And actually that what we don't know is really important and that it's not a bad thing to know that you don't 
know things. In fact, scientists kind of treasure that. And as we heard her say, sometimes they actually need to find out that they're wrong, that their idea of the universe is the wrong idea. Because when they get that set to rights, that gives them a whole new vision of how space and time and the universe really are. And I think we can see that in ourselves over this next billion seconds, we're going to have these moments where the things that we thought were true turn out not to be true. And they will revision the way we are in the world and the way that we work with the world. So this next billion seconds, when all of this is happening, we can take a look at how the scientists are working. They have a direction, they have a goal, but they know that that may not be the way they're going to get there. We're at the midway point in this first series of the next billion seconds. So in our next episode, we'll be touching base with John Alsop, who you heard from in episode one, for a bit of halftime reflection and speculation. We're learning heaps. It's time to put what we've learned to work. That's the next time on The Next Billion Seconds. The Next Billion Seconds is recorded for Podcast One. Recording and production assistance is provided by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. Music by Kirk Godfrey. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or the Podcast One app. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening.